0: Here at Docs we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hi guys, it's so nice spending time with you this morning in lockdown on online church. And to be honest, I know you're sitting there on your couch all comfortable this morning. That's probably one of the things that I've loved most about lockdown It's just you can really look good on top, but... Down there, I've slipped into something a little bit more comfortable called my slippers. So so nice spending time with you guys there on the couch. And just from myself and from Gerda, we're praying that in this time, um, you will experience God's presence. And we send our love from the Murray family. Now we're in a series called, That's a Great Question. And we're in week three of this series where we're addressing a question that I think is so relevant for our time today. In fact, just the other day, I read an article in the New York Times that was written on the 20th of March this year, 2020. It's titled as follows, Where is God on a Pandemic? Where is He in this Pandemic? And today's question is actually framed like that. It's in that direction. It's when we get into tough times, and all of those voices around us start speaking to us, voices of uncertainty and doubt and fear, and we're unsure where is God in all of this trouble, we're kind of like many people actually saying, God seems to be silent in these times, almost like He's not there, like He's absent, like He's not present in our midst, So today's question is framed like this, if he is such a good and a loving God, why is God doing nothing? That's the question we're going to be looking at, is why is God doing nothing? Now, how we are going to go and journey with this question, we'll be looking at a man called Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk was a prophet that lived in the Old Testament times, and and his times weren't easy. He lived in a time where where he was faced with a reality for the nation that he was a part of, Israel, being overthrown by probably one of the most ruthless empires of his time, the Babylonian Empire. And um, as a prophet, he didn't do what all the other guys did. Most of the prophets, you see, would speak directly to God's people. And warn them, or they would even accuse them of all the injustice that's taking place and that God will turn his back. But Habakkuk doesn't do this. Um, We see when we read the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament that he is struggling with some questions of his own. He is really working them out with God. And and I think the big question that we're going to be looking at today, the, the one that says, why is God doing nothing, is exactly the question we find Habakkuk kicking off his book with. And um, he dives in and he's wondering, God, if you are so good, why are you so absent? And he's struggling with this question. And that's the first thing that I want to point out about Habakkuk this morning, is that he really gets real with God. He's not afraid to ask the tough questions. So I want to take you to Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, and quickly listen to this. Habakkuk speaking to God, he's saying, how long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict that abounds. What Habakkuk is busy saying here is God, why are you doing nothing about the situation of your nation, your people? Whom you have called by your name. Why are we in this tough times? Can't you see all of this stuff happening around? Why are you so absent? Why have you abandoned us? God, He's really throwing it out there. He's very real and upfront. He even goes a little bit further than just putting out the obvious question to God. He actually confronts God with his character. Look at verse 12 at the beginning. He really takes out all of the guns, and he looks at God, and he says the following. He says, Lord, are you not everlasting? That's an accusation. It's looking God straight in the eyes, and it's saying, God, I'm not asking you an informational question. I'm asking you a rhetorical question. Now, in the English, we don't really catch it, but a rhetorical question is not a question to get information from someone. It's actually a question to punish someone to point out something that they might be lacking or not seeing. And in essence, what Habakkuk is doing here is he's looking straight at God, and he's saying, I thought you were infinite. I thought you were the infinite and the powerful God. Doesn't seem like that. That's kind of how frank and how real he gets with God. I must say that's really a bold and a gutsy move from him. So on the one side, in the start of Habakkuk's conversation with God, as he confronts him about the circumstances of his time, we see him challenging God. We see him questioning God. He's not afraid to bring the real doubts and the struggles up front. But on the other side, the other hand of Habakkuk's talking, and this is just right after he confronts God about his character, verse 12, let's look at it quickly he actually points out in this verse that he will never think about walking out on his God. He stays faithful. He stays with God the whole time. It is so powerful. I quickly want to read it to you. In the midst of this moment, he's not saying, um, God, after I've contradicted, you've contradicted yourself, and which is, I think, a very bold move. Notice what he's doing in, way, in the way he's dealing with it in verse 12. He's saying, oh, my holy one. He's not blogging about it. He's not writing about it. He's not even talking to other people about it. What is he doing? He's busy praying about it. He's saying, my holy one. He is wrestling faithfully as he challenges God. This is very, very, very profound. Almost no one treats God like this. You see, in our day and age, we have kind of like the robot side. That's the the religious, the traditional folk that said, what are you doing? Are you busy questioning God? You cannot question God. This is not, I mean, how do you even dare ask questions like that? If he hear you now, he will wipe you from the face of the earth. You better hold those questions back. We're not allowed to ask God questions like that. And then on the other side, we have all of the rebels and, and it's like the modern folk of today that have this enormous confidence in our human reasoning and just throwing it out there. God, I don't see how you can do this and still be a loving God. So I'm just not going to believe you. I'm walking away. And Habakkuk does neither. He's not doing one of these two. In fact, he's not being a dishonest legal Legalistic, appeasing God person, trying to just like keep God happy with everything. And on the other side, he's also not just frankly accusing God and walking away. No, instead, Habakkuk is the guy that faithfully follows and wrestles with his God. What is he teaching us? Well, I believe Habakkuk is telling you and me that God is big enough and he's okay to handle our questions, even our rough and tough ones. So why not faithfully wrestle with him through this? After this moment, <clears throat> I want us to quickly look at how God responds to Habakkuk. And um, it's in verses 5. I want to read, read it with you. Chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. God's saying to Habakkuk, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweeps across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. So basically, God goes out and he warns Habakkuk, telling him, I'm going to do something that you will not understand and that you will not believe right now. And then he moves on. Tell him what he's going to be doing. That's something. Now, this is crazy because what God tells Habakkuk is actually unbelievable. He's saying, Habakkuk, I'm going to deal with the injustice that we have and that you see in Israel by sending even a worse form of injustice on this nation, the Babylonian Empire. I don't know about you, it sounds like my mom telling me, and I still, I'll never forget this, I'll always remember it, she always said, two wrongs do not make a right. And that's kind of like what it seems God is busy telling Habakkuk here, I'm going to correct one wrong with another wrong. Um, It just doesn't make sense. And God's perspective doesn't make sense, but he's saying, I can make something good out of this bad. And that's the first part of God's perspective that we need to understand. In fact, I quickly want to introduce you to, a, to two artists that I've really been enjoying to look at in their work. Um, it's Tim Noble and Sue Webster. And on the screen, you'll probably see now two of their um, artworks. The one is called The Young Man and the other one is called The Individual. And if you look at them like this, can't you just see how beautiful, just, I mean, just gaze upon the beauty of these pieces of art. I mean, it's, it's breathtaking. I mean, just look at them. Okay, to be honest, they look like junk. And I think it's because they are junk, okay? It's like one of those weird artistic, and at first glance, you'll probably think that those awkward, weird art shows, is that one of those? No, no, it's not one of these guys. You see, the thing with their art is the moment you take a step back and you shine a light from the right angle on their art, the young man turns into this beautiful piece of shadow art and the individual becomes this beautiful piece on the wall just look at it you almost can't believe that something that looks like that can be turned into something as beautiful that we see on that wall what's god busy saying what's his claim he's saying habakkuk i can make a masterpiece out of this mess out of the junk that you see there, with my divine hand, with me being the light of the world, shining on on all of that mess, I can make a masterpiece. It's the master artist coming down and saying, I can do it. And that's exactly what he's telling Habakkuk in this moment. He's saying, get hope in the fact that I have the ability to do this. The second thing about God's perspective that Habakkuk just points out is that classic one um, that we always tell to everybody about our kids. Now, I don't know about you. We have two little kids in lockdown time. And let me tell you, it's really interesting. is playing school, school at home with the kids, and they're loving it every single moment of it, except when they're not, obviously. And um, one of the things that we always find with them, and especially with my kids, I've found this many times, is when they want something that we know is not good for them and we say no what's the natural reaction it is a deep deep deep-hearted painful scream why can't I have this mommy that's kind of where they go the moment you take away that jig bottle that they wanted to use for cool drink the screaming starts crazy going crazy And then what do you do to kind of like try and calm them down? I know what I'm doing. I go down on my knees and I'm like, honey, let me quickly explain to you the basics of nutrition is that when you drink this, you're not going to make it. So what happens after that moment, after they've listened to exactly what I've explained to them, they just go on screaming because they fall and they do not understand what I'm saying. So then I just take them onto my lap and I say, honey, you have to understand And you really need to trust me now. I know you won't have the insight of what I'm doing, but you have to trust me. And hopefully that keeps them quiet. But should they keep on screaming, you know, we go where all parents go, and we don't just say, be quiet. We use some other words and just basically point out, if you don't trust me now, you're going to die. That's where we're going. And in the same way, God is looking at us, his children, and he's saying, you need to trust me. I want you to trust me in this moment. I have the capacity. I can back it up. Just watch me. See how I'm going to do this. Now, we're very lucky because we're not sitting in a back of shoes. In fact, we are privileged to look back at the one event in history that God performed and put out there for us to anchor our hope in him. To know that we can trust that he has the power to bring a masterpiece out of mess. And, and we can really trust him in this moment. He has that capacity, even though we do not understand it. You see, Habakkuk accuses God of two things. The first one is that God has abandoned his nation. God is not there anymore. The second one is that how is it possible for God to turn violence to cure violence? How can he use violence to cure violence? Just in the case of Habakkuk's story, A commentator writes about this, and he says, it's really interesting to see how these violent nations and empires followed upon one another, first the Babylonian, then the Persian, then the Greeks. The Greek Empire actually gave us the first picture of globalization with with a one-language picture where where everybody could speak to anyone and they would understand. And then after that, the Romans swept in and came in, and they built their Roman roads, and, and there was a certain form of peace because Rome occupied every area. And this would set up the perfect conditions for one of the most unviolent movements in terms of Jesus' life to be spreading like wildfire in the first century. Habakkuk could have never seen how God could use these empires to ultimately play it into him establishing his kingdom. And in the same way today, when we're looking back at the cross, we look at probably the most horrific moment for humanity, the most unjust moment ever that we could have ever viewed. It's not just creation busy performing any form of injustice on God's creation. Now it is his creation turning to the creator and unjustly and brutally killing him. I don't think we can get anything more evil than that. And God uses that moment of evil and He turns it into the greatest moment of good for you and for me. When we look back at what God's doing, even though we do not understand, as His children, we can trust Him. We can really trust Him to work everything together for good in this moment. Secondly, Um, We've heard that Habakkuk accuses God of abandoning him. Now, when we see this and when Habakkuk and when we actually tell God, God, why have you abandoned us? When we feel like God has abandoned us, we know now, even looking at, at, at the story of Habakkuk, that God never really abandoned Israel. He's never abandoned and given up on his creation. He made a plan through Jesus. And the reason and the reality is is God has never abandoned us. Even when we don't do things right, even when we do the wrong things, when we say the bad things, when, when we don't keep our cool, when we walk away from him, he does not abandon us. Have you ever wondered why? Well, it's because on the cross, Jesus cries out and he says, My God, my God, faithfully, why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me? And in that moment, Jesus experienced God abandoning him on an infinite scale, on an infinite level, in a way that we would have never even dreamed about being abandoned by God. And because Jesus took what we actually deserve for what we've done, we get what he deserves for what he's done, staying faithful. And it's because of this, it's because of this moment that his church can stand up, that his church can rise up and find hope, and the world can find hope in the sacrifice that Jesus has made. You know, in the middle of this book of Habakkuk, God goes on and he like brings out all the guns and he, and he puts down this massive statement to Habakkuk. It's in chapter 2, verses 14. God says the following. He says, for the earth will be full with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He's saying to Habakkuk, even though it might look like this is the end, even though it might look like I've given up on my plan, I am telling you that I will fill the earth with my glory like the waters cover the sea. This is in fact the scripture that that we use as Doxa Deo to just like describe where we come from. The Doxa of Deo, the glory of God will cover the earth. will cover this city like the waters cover the sea. This is like the vision state. And that's where our name comes from. That's why we have that little symbol of a wave that just says we're trusting God. We are hoping. We're saying, God, in the midst of this troubled times, we're going to trust you. We're going to put our faith in you. We know that you've not abandoned us. We look to the cross and we see better things to come. We put our hope and our trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we're looking at some of these tough questions, thank you, first of all, that you're inviting us to speak to you, that we can be real and honest and faithfully wrestle with you through these questions. I want to pray this morning for people that might be struggling with these questions right now in the midst of troubled times, in the moment where everything looks like it's at the end and God, you're not there. In Jesus' name, I come and pray and I ask Holy Spirit that you would stir up faith in our hearts to trust you and to see that the glory of God Will cover the earth, cover the city of Bloomfontein, cover my finances, cover my business, cover my family, cover every area of my worries. God, your glory will come in and fix that mess, and we'll see a masterpiece standing there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.